This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. This episode is presented by Eco Soap Bank, a global humanitarian nonprofit that's working to save, sanitize, and supply recycled soap with hygiene education for the developing world. Hi, I'm Miriam Malka. I'm co-founder of The Ingredients Brand. And hi, I'm Eric Malka, co-founder and CEO of Ingredients. And to us, it is a matter of ingredients. The holy grail for most brand founders in the beauty industry is an exit to a strategic player that comes with a big payday. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. While this remains elusive for most, it is a reality for others that fuels future entrepreneurial ventures built on the lessons learned and the freedom to think beyond the confines of founding. These seasoned brand founders have a recipe for success and a passion that keeps them in the game. The Art of Shaving founders Miriam and Eric Malaka are such founders. Realizing their work wasn't finished, they are back in the beauty game with a new brand that embodies their less is so much more philosophy and their passion for ingredients. Eric and Miriam, thank you so much for joining us today. All three of us have been in the industry for a very long time, but I don't think we've ever had the pleasure of meeting each other. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I've known of you for a long, long time. Yes, getting your- same newsletters and watching some of your podcasts, but never had the pleasure. Yeah. And I think even predating that, you know, I did a lot of work with the grooming lounge, you know, so the men's, it was kind of like, you know, in the early days of men's grooming, you guys were real innovators. So maybe we can get started at the beginning. You know, you guys made your mark on the beauty industry in a pretty profound way with the art of shaving. But I'd love to go back even further and hear a little bit about your personal story, because I didn't really know it until sort of reading the background on ingredients. And it sort of feels somehow that it's very relevant to your new beauty baby. Can you share a little bit about how you met and your life kind of leading up to founding The Art of Shaving? Sure, we'd love to. Well, I'll start, Miriam. So we met in Miami when we were quite young. Miriam was 20, not even 20, and I was in my (laughs) mid-20s. And we hit it up instantly because, you know, we're both have a French Moroccan background. Miriam is from Paris, but her dad is also from Morocco as I am. And I think one of our first conversations, she said that she was vegan and I said, so am I. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So it was quite a a match made in heaven. And uh, we both had on separate path, acquired a passion for natural lifestyle due to some Issues we had, not major issues, but health issues we had in our youth. Soon after, we moved to New York City because we had ambitions that Miami at the time were not able to fulfill, being a very sleepy town in the mid-90s. And I took on a job working, coincidentally, for a distributor of English shaving products, while Miriam pursued studies of herbology and aromatherapy. Well, you put those two together and one morning, Mary made an oil. You know, I had just discovered brushes and creams, the old English stuff. And I had discomfort 
shaving. Miriam knew that I had sensitive skin and she decided to use some of her newfound knowledge in aromatherapy to make me a pre-shave oil in our kitchen in Chelsea. And I had the best shave of my life. So we thought this is potentially a good business to get into. But being quite broke, the only thing we had was a, a nice little car and we sold it. And with the proceeds, we were able to scrape together opening a tiny little shop on 62nd Street on the Upper East Side. And very quickly, we gained recognition from the press, including a big article in the New York Times six months into it, which just blew up our sales of that little tiny stores. And that prompted Miriam and I to decide to open a more prominent location on Madison Avenue. We were quite ambitious. And Miriam also started to develop our own brand. And maybe Miriam, you can talk about that a little bit. So I, uh, you know, being my background, being uh, in herbology and aromatherapy, I wanted to develop a product made with botanical ingredients. And at the time, I had a lot of difficulty actually finding chemists that understood my way of formulating eco-friendly, toxin-free ingredients. So I decided to open my own laboratories and I did so in our headquarter, uh, the Art of Shaving headquarter, and started to formulate all the product for the Art of Shaving with botanical ingredients and essential oil. And we had already a, a list of non-harmful ingredients. Uh, we had actually, uh, we were avoiding hundreds of chemicals at the time which was really pioneering at this time. And uh, I started to develop all the formula for the art of shaving. Yeah, Miriam was always very forward thinking in formulation. And at the art of shaving, you know, her clean approach to product creation was really industry first. We didn't call it clean products back then. We were also clean retailers. We, we were one of the first retailers to sell brands like Aesop in, in the U.S. and anything else we could find that was clean, which prompted us even more to create a broader range for the art of shaving with our clean philosophy. It's very interesting because the branding of art of shaving was so traditional. Yes. And so there's sort of this, I had no idea that the formulas were sort yeah. of intentionally clean. It wasn't something you necessarily marketed to. No, we, we soon realized that our consumer target really couldn't care less. <laughs> <laughs> we were really focusing on the shaving. It's so much information you can give to someone. And we were really focusing on the shaving techniques and, you know, which product to use. We had a shaving system, so we were already very heavy on explaining the shaving system that we had a little room really to talk about the natural product and people at this time were really not open or in tune with natural ingredients. But we had, you know, in our promotional uh, catalog and website, we already had our list of ingredients we were not using and we were promoting the essential oil and the botanical, but it wasn't really in a second. It was not the first uh, marketing message well, you guys were really part of that sort of first pioneering of the men's market. I feel like in the past 20 years, I've heard the men's market is going to explode probably no less yeah. than like 10 times. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, we're having the same the conversation emergent. again. <laughs> I know we 
Our only consolation for that trend that never came was that within men's grooming, we really believed that shaving was a different situation, that we couldn't compare shaving cream and its potential in the marketplace with men wearing eye gel. But yes, one thing that was interesting at the Art of Shaving is that consumers often came in and said, I love the way this smells. I love the way it feels on my skin. And we knew it was the you know, ingredients inside the products. And, you know, sometimes they were using rose water in our products, you know, for a grown man, you know, in the 90s, they wouldn't be caught dead telling their friends about that. But we always approach clean beauty and ingredients because of our own personal ethos more than as a marketing poll for consumers. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of lived the indie beauty dream and had an exit in 2009 to Gillette. You went straight to the strategic exit. What have you been doing since the art of shaving? And did you know that you'd eventually launch another brand? So actually, um, after the acquisition in 2009 uh, with PNG, we stayed on board for a couple of years for a transition period. After that, we took a break and had babies. And that was another project. (laughs) Um, Her greatest creation. (laughs) The most difficult, actually. But actually, during this period, I experienced some health issues coming from uh, environmental uh, toxins. And I had to go through chelation and body detox. And I had to go through home detox. And at this point, I didn't want to put any more petrochemical on myself. And I had a lot of difficulty finding a brand that was clean enough. And that was really came from the inspiration of creating a brand that's going to raise the bar on purity, safety, and transparency. And we came up with the idea of ingredients. And uh, we trademarked the name in 2011. You know, we always have been obsessed with ingredients from the food we eat to the product we put on our skin. We had our lab, so we were sourcing all our ingredients. And at this time already, we were wondering why brands are putting ingredient listing in the back or at the bottom in very, very small fonts that you can barely read. And for us, it was the most important yeah. part. And also... During our two years with PNG, the first thing they did was start looking at changing our formulas. So that became another frustration for us to even go further in purity. And as soon as we left the company, Miriam and I, I think we had a 30-minute brainstorming session and we knew exactly what our next brand would be, what it would be called, what it was about, that it would have ingredients on the front. But we also knew that we didn't have the courage to re-embark on that journey immediately. So we needed a breather. So it took eight years, but we knew right away and we trademarked the name right away. That's interesting. You know, I think that there's kind of almost this, you know, everyone is saying there's an indie beauty trend, but there was an indie beauty trend sort of 20 years ago. It was very different, but equally as profound. And I think sometimes something that gets lost in a lot of these founder stories, because I think venture capital and private equity is getting involved in brands far earlier than 20 years ago. 
So it changes things because the founding stories are now about attracting capital. <laughs> so everything right. is 68 and sunny in everyone's days every day. And I think the difficulty of building a brand and how long it actually takes to build a brand sometimes gets lost in that narrative. Absolutely. Yes. And you're right. I mean, I think 20 years ago was the beginning of this indie trend. It was just starting. And I think between all the money that's available on the sidelines to invest and seeing how these indie brands were starting to sell for extraordinary amounts of dollars, I really created this frenzy that we're seeing today. It's sort of this idea of build it and someone will come with a billion dollar check. And if That's that right. were the case, a lot of us would be like on the beach sipping cocktails <laughs> instead of grinding it out every day. <laughs> I agree. I, I speak to entrepreneurs all the time and I tell them there are millions of brands in this world and only a, a handful make it. And some really good brands, you know, it's not just because they weren't solid brands or solid businesses. There's also a healthy amount of luck and timing. Timing is so important. I mean, we had it at the Art of Shaving. It couldn't have been better timing for the brand. And that's the one element of success you don't control. And if you have it, it could really be magical. Yeah. So, you know, ingredients is, you know, when you came up with the idea, the kind of concept of clean is not what it is now. So this whole concept of clean is kind of rife with clean washing, green washing, mm -hmm. you name it. I think sometimes it's unintended and it's just the amplification of misinformation. Yeah. Sometimes it's intentional and opportunistic, but needless to say, it's a little bit of a free-for-all. How are you differentiating yourself? Well, we don't follow trends, you know. We've all, in this podcast, been in the industry for so long. We know how the industry likes to hang on to buzzwords and trends. For us, uh, health, wellness, sustainability, those are not buzzwords for us. They're meaningful. They're a mission in our lives. I think our big differentiation is our transparency, our radical transparency, since we decided when we created the brand to apply our full formula with percentages, sorry, in front of the packaging. And we are out really to redefine transparency and what safety, not just in skincare, but multiple categories. So we have also a very strict process when it comes to our development of our formula and the sourcing of ingredients. We don't private label. I formulate in-house, so I have full control of what I put in my formula. We source, I've been in industry over 25 years, so I've been uh, visiting and uh, having established relationship with manufacturers. And I have a very strict process when it comes from the selection of the ingredients. We looked at, actually, we looked at the process from the harvesting of the plant to the process of the plant. And we will look at sustainability, ethical farming practices, natural or organic certification, traceability, manufacturing process, you name it. So we scrutinize the, the ingredients in all area. We even look at the breakdown of the chemicals. And so we will offer to the clients a really a very safe and very pure ingredient. And all the ingredients you see on the front of the bottle is what you have inside. 
And that's really our first, the way we've always looked to win as a brand is by really nailing the two moments. The first moment is when the consumer first comes across your brand. And our strategy for this is rooted in our transparency. I mean, we're doing something completely disruptive, unique, and in the best interest of the consumer. When they see the exact percentages on that front of that bottle, we stand a much higher chance of standing out in a crowded space and achieving that trust with the consumer almost instantly. The second moment happens at home. After the consumer actually tries the product and falls in love with Miriam's formulas. And that's where, you know, it's a two punch situation where you have to get them first to try it. And then you have to keep them after trying it. And that's been always a recipe for our businesses. You know, I honestly think that there's going to be, I guess this is, you know, I have my trend hat on. But I really do think that transparency, there's going to be a reckoning coming for all of these brands. And I think COVID sort of, it's one of those things that accelerated. People don't want to be lied to. They want science. They want experts. And I think technology is enabling visibility through the supply chain in a way that wasn't possible before. So I think brands like you that are doing the work are going to be able to substantiate and claim the work you're doing. And if you're not doing the work, it's going to become, I don't know how long it will take for this radical transparency to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. But I think it's coming. And I think consumers want it. And few more points I would like to add, which can differentiate ourselves as well. We use very little amount of ingredients. We will use eight ingredients or less, which going to maximize the concentration of each ingredient and maximize the efficacy. We do not use any purified water or any petrochemicals in our formula. And also most of our ingredients are sustainably processed as well as our packaging as much as we can. But you know, Kelly, by exposing our formula, our secrets on the front of our bottles, we're really exposing everybody else's. Yep. That's the bottom line. It is true. I think that, honestly, I have never seen so many products before in my life. And I often wonder to myself, like, where are are all these products being sold? On the other hand, I think we're entering into... You know, there was this moment, I don't know, maybe like the last five years where everything just felt the same to me. And it was just sort of like, it was all pink. It was all sort of, it was all the same. (laughs) And now I'm really excited because I think that there are a lot of founders like yourselves. On one hand, I hear stories where older founders are having a hard time accessing capital because investors don't think they have the energy to launch a brand, which I find mind boggling, but there are a lot of them. And you know what they're saying? They're like, "Ah, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to do it myself. And there's a lot of, you know, 25 years of showing up every day and running a beauty business. There's a lot of learnings that come with that. And then on the other hand, I think there's a new crop of entrepreneurs that are young and they use technology in a different way. And I think the next sort of few years, there's going to be so much innovation in the industry. Are you feeling that as well? I hope so. I, you know, innovation is at the core of everything we do. If it's not going to really move the needle on innovation, we're not going to touch it. So we really want to push the envelope. And I think that there's a great synergy between the younger 
up-and-coming entrepreneurs with their technology savviness and the experience that older entrepreneurs bring to the table. Those two together make a great combination. But I also think that, you know, we lost the mom and pop world of entrepreneurs in this country through brick and mortar consolidation. And the internet has reopened that playing field. So even though we're seeing so many brands, we're also seeing an entrepreneurial spirit and opportunities for mom and pops. I mean, obviously, all of them are not going to become mega brands, but as an entrepreneur, it's nice to see. You know, I'm glad you said that because I also feel like in the industry, we need to reframe what success looks like. Because success is different for everyone. If you can be an entrepreneur and launch a brand and pay your mortgage and put your kids through school, that's success, you know? Success isn't, you know, these sky-high valuations and exit. I mean, it's success for some people, but I think it diminishes sort of people who are truly making a living, and there's success in that as well. That's right. And I coach entrepreneurs, younger entrepreneurs. And the first question I ask them is, what do you want? Because that frames the entire strategy. Do you just want to make a nice income working for yourself? Do you want to be a billion dollar brand? I mean, those are different wants. It's up to you and takes a different sacrifice depending on what you want. It does. You know, you know, many successful founders kind of have a formula they follow. And, you know, once their non-compete ends from an exit, they sort of change the color and do something similar. But ingredients now, it seems more similar to Art of Shaving than I realized. But your experience in building the Art of Shaving, like how did it inform ingredients? You know, they're wildly different, different categories, different design aesthetic. But it feels like the inspiration starts at the formula and it seems very similar actually now that we've we've had this conversation oh absolutely i called the art of shaving is ingredients 1.0 we've really uh, honed our skills there and we continue to hone that skill after the art of shaving when we worked with png miriam spent two years working with their r d you know having our lab it was always about for us we always are guided by certain key principles you know, the outfits could be different. The packaging could be different. The brand can be different, but the principles stay the same. And we're really always driven by purpose. You know, we want to add value in our society. We're not going to sell something that we wouldn't consume ourselves or that that is not going to encourage health and wellness. We like to create very high quality, innovative formulas, and we like to use plant-based with strong branding. We like to be extremely consumer focused. Everything we do, every decision we make is about the consumer. And we feel that as long as we're true to these three elements, everything else is gonna work itself out. And that's really been our recipe. At Beauty Matter, we're committed to leveraging the platform we've built and the community we've nurtured to help make change happen. Our first impact partner is the Eco Soap Bank, a global humanitarian nonprofit that's saving lives by rescuing, recycling, and redistributing soap to communities that otherwise lack essential hygiene. Eco Soap Bank is quite literally changing the world, one recycled bar of soap at a time. As an industry, we can help them empower women and fight preventable disease. It's time to get involved. Learn more about partnership opportunities and the global impact a bar of soap can have by visiting ecosoapbank.org. 
for me, the the most profound change in the industry has probably happened in the in the last decade. What do you think is the most significant shift building a brand this sort of second time around? Well, technology obviously has been a game changer. You know, we didn't operate a business for 10 years and we felt like we were frozen for a hundred. We had missed so much. So we're catching up. And technology has made things so much more efficient and allowing us to scale the business and to get the word out there in a way that we couldn't have imagined in the 90s and early 2000s. I think that's been a huge shift. The other shift that I see is, you know, Miriam and I have been into natural ingredients since the mid 90s and even before that. And now we see the consumers are really catching up to that and it's no longer a trend. It's no longer an anomaly. It's now mainstream. And consumers are asking for healthier, safer, more organic. I mean, when we started out, there were no whole foods out there. So those are the two big changes I've seen in consumer mindset and uh, technology. And also, you know, I think this time around, you launched D2C, which... I guess in Art of Shaving, you launched D2C as well because it was just a physical storefront. That's right. The original D2C. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because I think what's really interesting is that things have changed, but I think the fundamentals of branding and marketing have not, right? So brick and mortar retail is D2C. You know, the concept of influencers is not something new. You know, when we were at Bliss, we used influencers. We didn't have any money. We gave free stuff to people and they talked about us. I think technology just amplifies all of those things, but they're not new concepts at their core. No, and I've been saying this for years, you know, it was always the offline versus online. And I've always said it's both. It's not one or the other. This is not a dinosaur. I mean, uh, retail is not dead. It, It might be committing suicide sometimes when we look at some people, but retail is not dead. It just needs to reinvent itself and have a new reason to exist in this new world that we live in. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because during sort of that moment in time when everyone thought D2C brands had reinvented the wheel, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm just running the numbers and I'm like, it can't scale. And I was like, maybe I'm just old. Like, maybe this is the time where, you know, it's a different generation, but there's something that just does not add up here. And also, I think kind of the traditional building blocks of a brand kind of went out the window temporarily because it was all about speed to market. And I feel like we've made a full circle where it is about building a holistic business with touch points and doing the hard work of building a brand because that's your safety net because that tells you and informs who you are. Yeah. Branding has gone out the window sometimes for the sake of building a company. And I agree with you. It is coming full circle. I think it was, it's a pendulum situation where we're, we're coming to center now slowly, but surely. And the fundamentals, you know, that's why I talk about principles a lot because those are timeless, you know, principles are timeless. Situations change, technology, society changes, but fundamentals are always there to guide you. 
I agree. I also, having worked with a lot of entrepreneurs bringing their concepts to market, early in my career, there were always those classic benchmarks of, I want to build a Chanel, I want to build an Apple. They were like, they were legacy brands. And then all of a sudden, that was replaced by speed to market and how fast can I do things. And now I speak to entrepreneurs that really want to create legacy brands again, something that has longevity to it. Absolutely. That's the game we're in. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. The Art of Shaving was built to sell. You know, <laughs> we were struggling entrepreneurs and all we cared about was the destination. But fortunately now, ingredients really is built to last. And it's a totally different approach and a totally different enjoyment. You know, as we know, the journey is really the fun part that I wish I had enjoyed even more in my previous company. Do you guys find yourselves enjoying it much more the second time around and sort of appreciating oh, yeah. it in a different way? Oh, my God. So much so. You know, I, I can tell you I knew out of 800 stores we sold in, I knew a few buyers back then. And now I demand to speak to every owner of a store. I want to know what their business is about. I want to get to know them personally. This is part of the enjoyment for me. It's I'm a people person. And the journey is really what I'm enjoying right now. What about for you, Miriam? No, I really enjoy, you know, my responsibility, our product development. So what I love to do and what I'm happy about is that those last maybe five years, I saw in the ingredients side so many new uh, company or existing company that sells natural botanical ingredients, which when we had the art to compare, when I was doing trade show, for example, when at the time of the art of shaving, I was going to a supplier day, I could find maybe five ingredients company that were selling botanical. Now, unfortunately, with the COVID, <laughs> it's a different story. But pre-COVID, I was going to ingredient trade show in Europe and the US and I could find hundreds of companies selling botanicals. So you have access uh, through, you know, because plant grows all over the world, to have access to many different plants. And as well, same for packaging. Those last few years, I will say only last few years, the offering for sustainable packaging are grew tremendously compared to previous year where it was even like... Two, three years ago, when I started to work on the line, it was pretty difficult. We had buzz about the sustainable packaging, but it was really few offering when you were going yeah. to trade show. Now it changed completely. So much more options for sustainable packaging, recyclable, post-recyclable, compostable, so refillable. So it's now yeah. I see this area for me, I'm really happy to be able to find a lot more offering and, you know, we can select for future also product for the ingredients brand. And Miriam mentioned also your passion for visiting the farms where oh, the yes. ingredients are made we, all over the world. So one of our goal is to visit most of uh, the farm that we work with. Uh, we work directly with farmers. So we, we did already visit many farms, uh, but the idea for us will be to promote all the ingredients through a video where we go to the country and we see the harvesting and the processing of the plant. So we, you know, to be really fully transparent, you can go on our website and find a glossary 
of ingredients where you can find all the detail about the plant, how it's processed, all the certification, but we would like to show physically where it comes from. So right now, because of the COVID time, it had been a little bit on hold, but that's something that we'll we'll share very soon. That's how we're enjoying the journey, frankly. I mean, to... For me, it was incredible to see the work that it takes to get an ingredient shipped to us. It takes years to grow those plants and to harvest them and to pick them. And just visiting those beautiful countries. I mean, that's how we're enjoying the journey more right now. As the industry moves to sort of cleaner and a focus on naturals, I mean, the ingredients you're using, there's a finite amount of them, right? And there's also a fragility in the supply chain. So, I mean, I guess my question is, how are you sort of future-proofing the business to address those things? I mean, I think COVID sort of exacerbated everything, but... Yeah, we've seen some spikes in certain ingredients that are immune-boosting, but we're not too worried. We're going to have to make millions and millions of units before we even encounter any kind of issues with that. And our farmers, and when we say farmers, they're owned by larger corporations, but at the end, they're really running little farms, They have the ability to expand as much as we want. It's highly sustainable. Yeah, and it's not wild. They are, you know, they are farmed. They are sustainably processed. For sure, you're dependent on climate Mm -hmm. or environmental disaster like fires. But petrochemicals are really the bigger issue for sustainability in the planet and human health. So... You know, if there's a shortage of lavender in Provence, you know, I'll take that over drilling more oil and putting of it on course. consumer but, spaces. But, uh, we, you know, we work with many farmers. So, for example, we have an issue of Provence. Uh, we can go to Bulgaria, for example, where they have a great lavender. So we have many sources as well, if in case something happened. We're not too concerned. We have scalability has been analyzed for the brand. Yeah. So, you know, Miriam, you you touched a little bit on sort of sustainability and packaging. And I honestly feel like finally the packaging side of the industry has caught up with everyone else. But it's still, you know, sustainability is one of those kind of divisive issues. And there's two sides. Some people are very collaborative and kind of open sourcing the things that they're discovering, finding realizing that we can only really make change if we do it together. And then there's another side of the industry that's like, I'm right, you're wrong, glass is better than plastic. And, you know, it's such a complicated thing. And, you know, every conversation I have ends with, it depends. It depends on your business model. It it depends on so many things. It is definitely not black and white. And the technology quite honestly, doesn't exist yet for us to be sort of completely sustainable. No, you, you cannot un- unless you or you if you find compostable packaging that will go back to the ground. But for us, I mean, we try to follow a, a circular system where we have some compostable packaging, like we do teas, all our bags and pouches are compostable, but most of our components are from post-recycled material and they are recyclable for sure you know to recycle as well you create co2 emission 
So, for example, we use glass that's made of uh, originally sand and or a factory as electric furnace that really will not develop too much CO2 emission because it's electric, it's made on coal. We uh, use aluminum that's used with 70% post-recycled material, but you have to recycle, so there is some still CO2 emission. We use plastic that's EcoCert certified, where all the plastic is PCR and it's come from, you know, post-recycled material. And it's fully, there is no metal part in it. It's made of 11 parts and it's fully recyclable. So sustainable, you know, is a big world. There is not really any regulation put in place for what can you call sustainable, what's not sustainable. So unless there is some regulation, but we're trying to do the best as we can and have packaging that are made in a sustainable yeah. way yeah. and that can be recyclable. So we're trying to, to do the best we can. And I think it doesn't have to be an all or nothing game. And what bothers me the most is that, well, besides the fact that sustainability is the latest buzzword, yes. talking about plastic packaging or recyclable packaging or sustainable packaging and making formulas with harsh chemicals and petrochemicals is like putting a Band-Aid on a flesh wound. I mean, that's the game we're in. We want to refocus everyone on the subject that no one's talking about, the actual formulation, the actual ingredient mix that people are consuming. Petrochemicals are wrecking havoc on the environment and they are hurting our health. We know this for a fact now, much more so than plastic bottles are. That's something I want to always add to that conversation. I think it's important because it is, to your point, it's not regulated. It's a box that people check. It's a word that people throw around, but it means it means different things to everyone. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think we need to just be good corporate citizens or global citizens, you know, but I, I do think on the packaging, you know, previously you get your packaging and the, and the work you do around packaging was much more about, you know, fine tuning the cost of goods or maybe tweaking the brand. Now it's a piece of the business that constantly is evolving. So yeah. it used to be one of those like, okay, decision made, I can move on. Now it's something that is kind of a moving target. How do you deal with that? Well, we were lucky to launch our brand in, uh, you know, 2021, because there's been so much advancements in that area that we're able to not have to change our packaging after six months because it's completely against uh, trend and consumer desires. So we're very comfortable with where we are now on the sustainability area. Uh, we have a whole deck about our packaging and about our ingredients. We're very sustainable. We have compostable elements, post-recycled materials. We have only two package out of 16 SKUs that are in plastics and they're EcoCert, 100% recyclable. And again, the ingredients are not, they're sustainable. They're not petrochemicals. They're not synthetics. They're not made in yeah. a lab. They're not leaking they're, into rivers. They're fully biodegradable. 
Yeah. So I would love to end with sort of the same question, but but for each of you, you know, you have so much experience and sort of success in building beauty brands. If there was one piece of advice that you would give to an entrepreneur listening or contemplating launching a brand or a lesson learned, you know, what would that be? I think for me, it's really about if I can have one thing to say to someone creating a new brand in personal care is do everything within your power to remove all petrochemicals from your formula and all synthetic harsh ingredients. I mean, that's a step in the right direction. And I think those who do in the future follow that advice will be rewarded. Miriam, what about you for all of those formulators out there? <laughs> you can have... <laughs> <laughs> Eric said it all for formulated out there. I mean, simplicity is your thing, right? Eight yeah. ingredients or less. Yeah, you know, less ingredients, more plant-based, less petrochemicals. You see formulas with 80 ingredients. In a small <sighs> I know. Bottle. I mean, 40 is already a, a huge stretch. For us, eight is the max, max. One is the ideal, you know? And so, um, you know, for me, I've Formulation is about, you know, I believe that your skin is like a sponge and absorbs everything. So I will say, you know, to uh, formulate with safer and pure ingredients will be one of my recommendations and plant-based. You must love this sort of time in the industry where science is cool and, and kind of scientists and experts are, are sort of being respected. Yeah. Yes. We've yes. actually, it's funny because we changed uh, Miriam's uh, title from chief creative officer to chief science officer yeah. in the company. It really it's interesting because those roles didn't really exist until recently, but it's one of the things that I find the most interesting because science does matter and consumers are smarter than ever. But it was so nice to meet you guys. You know, one day it would be lovely to, to meet in person. Yes. We're, we're getting there yes. close. Uh, you know, <laughs> po- the possibility at least exists pretty soon. But Eric and Miriam, thank you so much for sharing your story. It was kind of great to hear it firsthand. Well, thank you for having us. For Miriam and Eric, it's a matter of ingredients. It always has been. When they started The Art of Shaving, all the products were formulated with botanicals and pure essential oils. They were way ahead of their time. Fast forward, both consumers and the industry may have caught up with the Malacca's way of thinking, but they are busy pushing boundaries again with a commitment to radical transparency, raising the bar on purity and redefining what it means to be safe. Their obsession about everything that goes into the formula has been integrated into the packaging of the product with exact percentages of each ingredient designed to be front and center. So in the end, it's a matter of ingredients, and that's what matters. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time. Hi, I'm Miriam. Hi, I'm Eric. And to us, what matters is ingredients. Because wellness starts with ingredients. It's a Matter Of is a production of Beauty Matter LLC. You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media at Beauty Matter Official. This is Mouth Media Network.
the business of being heard.